mid-November-ish, 2019. My name is Tom Chick, and I am not playing Gloomhaven as usual. And this is Asan Lopez, and I'm not playing Wizard Kings. And this is Mike Pullman, and I am not playing Raise Your Goblets. Uh, Wizard Kings reminds me of just like Mage Knight. Like, just crammed together two <laughs> fantasy words, whether they're fit or not, just stick them together and make it a game name. That's right. <laughs> That's kind of going to be the theme for my game this week, is ultra-generic fantasy game. Uh-oh. Uh, well, before we do that, before we talk about what games we are playing, Hassan, uh, it's a, a kind of a milestone for Maniacal, right? What's going on there? Yeah, this is a this is a super exciting week. We're finally, finally, finally delivering copies of Maniacal this week, which means that it's also open to be purchased uh, from from Eagle's web store, and hopefully some reviews will start popping out about it. So yeah, it's been. I mean, every game is a long haul, but this one really feels like it was um, an incredibly long wait to get to this point. Sure. Have, have people on Board Game Geek started posting, hey, I got mine, or is that um, is it not quite there yet? No, it's not quite there yet. I mean, okay. I literally think that I, I got my my box today, and I think it was happening today, but people could start posting stuff soon. And those of us who missed the Kickstarter, if we buy it from Eagle Griffin, do you, actually, this is probably out of your hands, but do you know, do we have to sit back and wait until all the Kickstarter folks get their copies first? Um, I don't know, actually. My guess is that if you... If you ordered it now from Eagle, they'd send it out to you pretty fast. I don't think – I mean, I, I, we are doing worldwide shipping, and it's hitting people in Asia and Australia, Europe at these different times. But my guess is that if you put in an order, they'd want to get it to you. Cool. All right. yeah, and, uh, and I actually, I actually mm -hmm. put in an order for some, and they're supposed to be shipping mine this week. Sweet. Uh, and Hassan, just for folks who may not know, give us the elevator pitch for Maniacal. Mm. All right, so it's it's kind of my love letter to comic book supervillains. So it's in the game you take on the role of a, of a fictional comic book supervillain, and your mission is to be the most evil or maniacal in the world. And to do that, you're going to recruit henchmen. You're going to build a secret base, and by building a secret base, you're going to recruit henchmen to your side, and then you're going to send those henchmen out on various contracts around the world to earn money and infamy. Um, I would call it uh, very much in the line of like a beer and pretzels type type game with some, with some fun mechanics thrown in. I think those of us who enjoyed the video game Evil Genius back in the day, it certainly right. would appeal to us, yeah. That's right. Yeah, Evil Genius was an inspiration. I mean, really, to be honest with you, a lot of those old school, um, I guess what you would call simulation games like Dungeon Keeper and Evil Genius, those were a source of inspiration for mm -hmm. Maniacal. Great. Cool. Um, well, before we also talk about what we're playing, I'd like to address briefly superpowers um, because I think I might have them because I don't know if you guys remember when last we recorded – uh, Marvel Champions uh, had recently been released, and mm -hmm. we talked briefly about it and said, yeah, I think we're a little underwhelmed at what's in there. Obviously, there's a lot more content coming, but uh, we're, none of us was interested in buying it. But I made the prediction on this podcast two weeks ago that within two weeks, within our next recording time, I will have bought Marvel Champions anyway, despite my misgivings. <laughs> my prediction, spot on, 100% true. I nailed it. So, 
Yeah, I don't know. If, I don't know if that counts as a superpower. That's that's a <laughs> super weakness, maybe. Hassan, I saw the future. I was able to predict it. It was like a prophecy. I'm a Cassandra here. <laughs> uh, and uh, well, I'll talk more about that in a couple of weeks. But uh, yeah, so one of us caved at least. Oh, that's um, cool. I mean, it's gonna be it's gonna be clearly a huge holiday seller for them. I mean, I think it's gonna be in a lot of people's. Uh, you know, Christmas tree at the end of this year. Yeah, and that's I'm telling myself I I bought it just because it's going to be you know culturally speaking in terms of board gaming culture, you can't miss out on it. I'm I'm just doing it to keep my fingers on the pulse of the board gaming industry, not because I wanted it or anything. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, um, but I do want to talk about another superhero game and Hassan, you talking about uh, maniacal, the whole idea of playing a supervillain simulator, kind of surprisingly came up for me in a game that I played when I wasn't even looking for this kind of gameplay. Um, the the folks at a, a... There's a war game developer named Academy Games, and in trying to branch out, they kickstarted uh, an Agents of Mayhem board game based on a video game that didn't do very well, but that I personally loved. Uh, and it was the folks that did Saints Row, and it was a kind of a wacky superheroes game. Uh, open world game. So Academy Games, they get the license. They think we want to be known for more than just boring, dry old war games. Let's do something wacky and crazy. So they made a tactical kind of miniatures game from Agents of Mayhem. And it was a Kickstarter. Uh, I supported it, and it just arrived uh, several weeks ago, three or four weeks ago. Uh, And I managed to, uh, after a, a disastrous misstep on my part, uh, finally get it to the table on Saturday and spent a good part of the day. Like, it was one of those, like, nine-hour sessions uh, <laughs> playing a two-player game with one of my friends. It's not solitaire at all. They claim they will be shipping a, a solitaire AI uh, deck. Um, but for the time being, it's a two-players only. You can do three or four, but it's really forced. It's mainly two players, one player playing the Agents of Mayhem, who are these wacky superheroes, some from the Saints Row uh, series of games, some just created from whole cloth for this game. Uh, And then the other player is the villain. Um, And the villain has his henchmen, and he's trying to build a doomsday device. Um, So I I finally, uh, another friend of mine, who also liked the Agents of Mayhem video game, he said, yeah, let's try this. And fortunately, it was a friend of mine who... Different people in in different groups, even in the same group, can have very different approaches to how to learn rules and how to to play your learning game. And uh, fortunately, this fellow that I played with, part of why it took so long, he's one of my friends, and I love this about him because I'm the same way. If we get to a rule we don't understand, we will sit there for 30 minutes and look it up and parse the, the, the words that are used in the book. We'll do Google searches. We'll look for precedents in other parts of the rules. So we spent a good part of the day, uh, I wouldn't say untangling the rules because in a way they're elegant, but uh, interpreting, I, I should say learning the game's vocabulary. Mm-hmm. Because Academy games, they very definitely come from a wargaming background. And this was not a breezy, loosey-goosey, oh, let's just run through moving things around on a board and punching hit points. There were a lot of meticulous rules here that are meticulous 
specifically so that once you learn them, the game can play quickly and more simply. Uh, so there's a bit of an irony that with this steep learning curve, the goal is to get to uh, a really snappy, well-paced, tactical combat game between two mm. players. Mm. Um, now, also one of its selling points is it's got a 3D map. Uh, you've got a board, and then you put four posts on a smaller board to represent the second story of a building. And there's even a four-story building in the middle of this the modular board. So, Hassan, I'm sure you said you saw it at Origins, and that must have been part of what drew your eyes, that board, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, it has, it has that, that table presence, that pop. You're like, oh, there's a three-dimensional structure over there, and they're cle clearly using height as a mechanic in it. Um, and... It, uh, not a lot of games have tried to do this. Like there's that, what is it? The Queen's Gambit, the old Star Wars game that tried to do this um, and a few others. But it, it seemed like they were going to um, give players a lot of tactical maneuverability with that third dimension. And what, as a demo, how did it, how did it look? Like what, uh, what, how, how, how did a game like that appeal like in a quick demo? Um, I didn't, I didn't play it, but I watched some people playing it and I think I expressed this too. I had, I had concerns that it, it had the potential to be a hot mess. I couldn't tell from, from just standing there, but I was a little worried that there was too much going on. And, mm -hmm. uh, but besides that, I, I liked the look of it and I obviously liked the theme of it. And so I have been curiously following it from a distance. It, it does look super like noisy. Like there's a lot of artwork on the tiles. Um, there's a lot of the different boards, all the iconography that me and my friend had to, to parse. Um, it, it, it definitely looks like it has the potential to be a hot mess. And uh, that's w one reason, too, that I was super glad that I was playing it with someone who is willing to be patient with learning it. Because even though I went over the rules, um, I just I had a whole bunch of things that I wasn't quite sure of that we kind of had to figure out on, on our own. And because Academy Games does come from a wargaming background, the rules were written like a, a wargame. Um, so it, it, it has a steep learning curve. I wouldn't say it's a mess because what eventually happens with that learning curve is you learn the iconography. You learn that on the board where there's a lot of busy, potentially noisy artwork, they've been really good at superimposing raw information. Just simple lines for this is a wall, this is an obstacle you have to pay extra to go over, this is a corner where there's a post. Like All of that is very explicit once you understand what they're doing with that artwork. And you can even kind of tune the artwork out at a certain point. And it's the same way with the iconography, with the powers and the different boards. So I actually don't think it was a mess. I think it's got a steep learning curve, and I think you have to have this kind of visual adjustment to the way they're expressing geography and rules and attacks. Uh, and I think once you learn that, there's a really cool game under there, but I think a lot of people aren't going to have the patience to get that far. Because mm. there there are a lot of far simpler easy, more immediately, more quickly gratifying tactical board games uh, that I think people, people could be playing instead. And as a contrast, uh, Imperial Assault, which is a uh, Fantasy Flight Star Wars thing, which is doing the same kind of thing. One player is superheroes, you know, like uh, 
Jedis and smugglers and whatnot, and the other players, the Empire, a bunch of crappy stormtroopers. Uh, and that's a pretty accessible, pretty simple game. And you can sit down with that, and with your friend, you can maybe spend an hour or two fumbling through figuring it out, and then you spend the next three or four hours just having a fun battle. Uh, with Agents of Mayhem, a lot of that is going to be spent figuring out, wait a minute, this line of sight, how are they figuring this? Or, hold on, what do these two icons mean when they go together? Because I've never seen them put together. Uh, hold on, what are the implications of this equal sign? Um, so there are a lot of, I guess, what you might call like pain points. It's just a steep learning curve, I would say. Right. Right. It's a. It sounds like it's a. It's a deep system. So they're, they're giving players a lot of tools, right? I mean, I get the sense that, in like even just the different heroes, the characters that they have, they really are quite different from one another. Which means that they're going to have a lot of different keywords and abilities that they can use, and that that is a lot of rules overhead at the very start of a game. And that is exactly Hassan what sets it apart from something like Imperial Assault, I think, where different characters do pretty much the different, the same things, but different kinds of flavors of those things. Like one character might roll, and, and you see this in like their Arkham Horror game, is some characters are good against physical stuff, some are good against sanity stuff. Like they kind of bifurcate these two hit point systems, and different characters can address them in different ways, but you're still basically doing the same kind of mechanics just with different kind of resource pools. Um, and I think this, what, what you're talking like that that system, it really does unlock just some crazy different kinds of mechanics. And, and the, the characters feel very different from each other. Playing the, the villains feels incredibly different from playing the superheroes, of course. Um, mm. That's what I was going to ask, is yeah, how asymmetrical are just the two sides of the game? Incredibly asymmetrical. It's like right. insane, and it's part of just the insanity of the learning curve. Yeah, so that's that really is crazy, actually. That's That really is going to put a lot of, of work up front, but then once you master it, it can be a lot of fun to play with the system. And, and that's something, too, that I think is also going to be, you're going to have a hard time getting someone to sit down and play it, because nobody wants to play the side that's just a bunch of crappy stormtroopers who are going to get mowed over. Uh, <laughs> everybody wants to be the superheroes. And so what I did with my friend is I, I, I learned the rules. I took notes for sort of how to teach him. He's a really quick learner. Um, he's a like, he's really into the specifics of rules. He's a guy who'll sit there and he'll gladly pick up the book and try to look up something himself if I'm busy with something. So we sat down and, and I we learned the game. And then he finally said, because he's also super gracious, he's like, okay, you probably want to play... Uh, the Agents of Mayhem, the superheroes, so I'll play the bad guys. And I was like, no, we, we should flip a coin. So we flipped a coin, and I ended up being the bad guys. And I, to be perfectly honest, I didn't want to be. I, he was right. I wanted <laughs> to be the superheroes. But I also thought it might be kind of cool to be the other side. So I was willing to let the coin flip decide it. Uh, and, of course, I got I got the villains. So, But they really do manage to make the villains play differently without feeling like you're shoving cannon fodder out mm. there. Um, like that's something – a problem. like a, one of the reasons that zombie games work so well as solitaire games is nobody's ever going to want to play the zombies. So make some dumb AI system run the zombies, and therefore you don't need another player to oppose you. It doesn't have to be a head-to-head -head thing. If you're going to have like a, like a, a separate unit of troops run by a supervillain, that will definitely benefit from a player doing his own scheming. So uh, they, I think it did a really good job of giving the different soldiers that the bad guy can call 
uh, and he can decide what to who to call and when based on what the other player is doing there's just a lot of flexibility for how to respond to different situations whether you're the bad guy with his weaker minions or whether you're the superheroes with their wacky powers and the, the other thing that sets this apart so it's a it's a solid tactical game what they do is basically and this was the main hook for me deciding yeah i, I think i want to support this as a kickstarter each player basically has three characters on your turn you choose one of those characters to activate and you activate that character and the other two characters they're just hanging fire while this character is activated and you spend some of his or her resources to do a cool thing like or multiple cool things like move and, and shoot and jump through a window and use a superpower and throw a grenade you do that as long as you want with this character spending the character's resources then your turn is over and the other player and, and when your turn is over the two characters that you didn't activate they refresh they heal up some of the resources that they would have spent doing actions so you're always when it comes back and then the other player activates one character that character spends resources doing cool things the two that he didn't activate those guys heal up now it comes back to my turn do i activate the character i played last turn who she, she's got now depleted resources she can't do as much cool stuff she's going to have to make some difficult decisions and she's not going to heal up at the end of this turn because if i activate her it's only the two that i didn't activate that are going to get healing up uh, so there's this really quick, well-paced system of going back and forth, moving one unit at a time. And there's none of this, okay, do all your dudes, let me wait, you know, move that guy and fire with that guy, now move that guy. It's, it's very much, it just feels very integrated. The, the action just feels real snappy. Um, and, and, and as I understand it, that's, that's pretty similar to how the video game plays, right? Like you have access to your three characters and you can kind of switch them out on on the fly right mm -hmm. as you're going through the game and then the the two that you're not playing with are kind of healing up in the background exactly exactly hassan and and, and one of the things too that surprised me is i figured these guys know war games i even uh, did a podcast with them and uh bless their hearts they weren't as big a fan of the video game as i was <laughs> who, who could be i love the video game but so they why seemed they to... choose it i don't understand that i th you'd guess that they would be big fans of it well i i actually don't and i don't mean to uh impugn their appreciation for the source material i'm just a, i'm a nut for that source material uh <laughs> they knew the basics and they certainly understood what they were working with they just didn't I think they didn't have the wild enthusiasm for it that I did. They were obviously trying to sell a product, uh, which makes perfect sense. That's fine. But but what I wanted to say is I feel they really got it. Like I feel the, the way they named the powers, the way they implemented the powers, the way the bad guys work, because there's multiple bad guys, by the way. You pick which basically which evil faction you're playing. Those guys nailed it. Um, and, and that really surprised me because when I talked to them, I thought, well, yeah, they know what they've got. They know how wacky it is, and it's got this kind of irreverent tone. Um, but they're war game designers, so it's probably going to be a little bit dry, maybe forced, but we'll see how it turns out. No, I feel like they completely understand the, the tone and the mechanics, the way that different characters work. Like some of the characters in Agents of Mayhem are incredibly are, – ridiculously not overpowered but they break paradigms insanely and and i feel like they were able to do that given the complexity or the breadth the depth of of this system that they they've created
That's so. interesting. I mean, it's. Um, I mean, when I think of Agents of Mayhem as a board game, it's 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 striking to me because it seems like an odd an odd marriage, right? Like like as you mentioned, these guys are kind of known for their really strong, relatively light-ish historical war games, right? right? And right. then here's Agents of Mayhem, which is kind of wacky. I mean, I, I, it's mainstream, but it, like you said, it wasn't like a super, super popular hit or anything like that, right? And then for them to, to take up that and clearly, you know, at least, again, just watching the, the Kickstarter from afar and, and seeing them demo it at these various cons, clearly putting, like, a ton of time into this game. Like, this was not just a, oh, yeah, we'll just riff something off and release it and the fans of the game will buy it, right? Right. It's a, it's a big, beefy, expensive product with a ton of design work that went into it in terms of components and obviously, like, from what you're saying, also mechanics. And to, it just strikes me as a gamble. Like it, it seems like yeah. it's a risky thing for them to do. Like, yeah. I mean, is this game going to sell? In other words, right? And who who are they selling it to exactly? I, you know, hearing you, Hassan, I think the term "labor of love" comes up, and I, that's what that's the thing I least expected uh, right. for, from the end result. Uh, Mike, is this in retail channels at all? It will be, but isn't yet. Okay. When you say "will be," like in in six months or before the holiday season. Do you have a sense for uh, how impending it is in, in terms of retail? I have to look. I don't. I know I pre-ordered it a while ago. I just don't remember the date. Well, my Hassan, my, just my gut response to what you're saying because of, you know, as someone who adores the video game, I mean, it was my, my, favorite, my favorite game of that year. Uh, I recently tried to play it again and had technical issues and I was depressed like for days because I couldn't get the stupid thing to run and I did nothing but tried to troubleshoot the game and when I finally got it running again it's like it's like when you think you've lost your wallet and you know all day you're like oh I gotta do my like you've got that depressed oh my wallet's gone and then the next day you get in your car and it's in the car seat and you're elated like I, I went through that whole emotional roller coaster with getting the video game to run so as someone who is just completely over the top in love with the video game. I also understand the video game tanked. It critically did not go well. There's not going to be any sequel. It's a dead franchise. And I'm, I'm sad about that, but I'm realistic about it. And partly for that reason, and partly because also my experience with the game this past weekend, uh, I don't think there are many people that this game is for. <laughs> and I, I sadly, and I, I hate saying that because I loved what I discovered, right. but I'm not – any one of the folks in my group, maybe one of the other people I'm thinking of, but any one of the other folks in my group would have lost patience with it. Uh, right. I, and, and that was me, by the way, knowing the rules pretty well, uh, and we still had to look things up, and it took me a while to explain it. I just – I can't think of many people who care enough about the license, who want to go through the learning curve – uh, and who are willing to do this instead of picking up something like Imperial Assault, which has Star Wars drizzled all over it and mm -hmm. is super accessible with that sort of slick fantasy flight approach to a right. learn-to-play book and a rules book, which has like app support that runs some of the stuff for you. Um, right. I just – I hate to say this, but I don't think there are many people who want or are willing to learn or who will play Agents of Mayhem, and that's that's – terrible for, for I, mean, I just feel bad saying that but yeah. yeah so tom when i see pictures of this it makes me think of the old games workshop game necromunda do you, do you i don't know what that, that is but now you're making me curious is it like it was a 
<laughs> it was a, a skirmish game of like uh, in the future of gangs fighting, uh, but it had this 3D terrain of three different levels, and, and so that's, that's I think mostly the terrain is reminding me of it. But that's okay. strictly a war game with measuring and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of curious how much this game gets into the, you know, not really a board game, more war game, or is it even with multi-level still feels like a board game for the most part? Um, it's it it is kind of war gamey. I mean, to be perfectly honest, now not. Uh, wargamey in the service of making these characters do different crazy things, uh, mm-hmm. but it's definitely uh, counting out how many spaces you can move and counting out the range to where your that turret can't quite reach you, and deciding do I want to spend movement points getting elevation or movement points flanking someone? Like all of that is in there. It's very mm-hmm. wargamey. Uh, but like I mentioned before, I think once you learn the rules and once you learn to kind of parse the visual, what at first looks like noise, I think it gets it, – it's pretty snappy. Um, okay. So also okay. the 3D thing that I really like, it's in the service of creating a sense of destruction in that all of those 3D buildings can uh, can be destroyed. It's not just for elevation and to get up and do tricky things and to have buildings you can hide in. It's because – this is a game about explosions going off all over the place, and buildings will collapse. Um, you know, one of the the moments we had is I had a bunch of dudes. There's a in the beginning mission, you've got a four story, it's the equivalent of a skyscraper in the game terms, building in the middle of the the map. And I sent a bunch of my snipers and relatively weak dudes up top there, and was keeping his heroes pinned down. And he managed to do this mayhem power, which are like these. They're kind of these take-that cards that you build up juice for over time, and then you can spend the juice to draw new cards, or you can pay for one of the cool cards. He just used one to collapse the top of the building and, like, wipe out three of my guys. And that that was, like, the elevation there was a a huge help to me, and it was also a huge risk for me. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And it it wasn't just, hey, here's a cool way to, to... visually distinguish it from other games to get attention at cons uh to make to to have an excuse to print a bunch more stuff um there was just meaningful gameplay in those those buildings being stacked up so uh That's yeah pretty so, cool i mean my, my i remember hearing an interview with these guys um and i got the sense that they really wanted to infuse it with like military slash paramilitary sort of hardcore tactical thinking right like that's kind of their their bread and butter and so i got the feeling that they really wanted to to make players feel like i know this is you're in a war zone i mean yeah it's a crazy comic booky video gamey war zone but it's got that uh realistic sort of military heft behind it and these guys would would know that because they're they're well-versed guys and smart guys who designed it one one of the things that they do uh and I've, this is a little unfortunate but understandable given how much there is to, to chew on and learn, is there are rules in the game for neutral traffic, like cars driving around, and for civilians. Uh, and we didn't play that in our first scenario uh, because I think we you really do need to just sort of learn the basis, the, the way the game works, before you're futzing around moving civilians and neutral cars uh but i think that will get even more into this idea of creating like a war zone and just crazy destruction and uh 
you know, they and that's part of, by the way, the open world game is you're fighting in Agents of Mayhem and cars crash into each other and civilians are running away screaming. So they even put put that into the game. That's awesome. Uh, tell me, talk about the components. Did you like them? Does it like? Did you get like an extravagant package with a ton of cool upgrades and shit? Or what is it? What does it look like? Uh, all you can do, you can get the core game, and it's got. It, it's not. It doesn't feel like a miniatures boondoggle. You'll only ever have the agents will only ever have their three agents, and then the bad guy will have whatever super agent he's picked. And usually, he might have like a big old uh, what's called a golem, like a, a, a big old like robot mechanical sidekick thing. Uh, but generally, he's going to have different types of troops, and he's rarely going to have more than uh, five or six on the map at a time. Mm. So basically, this isn't a miniatures game. It's a miniatures game in that there are miniatures, but there are never going to be more than uh, five to ten miniatures out at any given time. Um, which does a couple of things. It makes it easy to focus on. There's not a lot of, like, hidden stuff. There are only a few things you really need to pay attention to in terms of what is where on the board. Um, so the the components, I, I feel, it doesn't it doesn't feel like something that they just threw a bunch of miniatures. Uh, what's uh, Is it Awaken Realms that does, is doing Tainted Grail? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yep. I always I look at their stuff and I'm like, you guys didn't need to do all these miniatures. It's just overkill. <laughs> and, but but that's what some people want. That's not what Agents of Mayhem was. Um, gotcha. Gotcha. So yeah. and then also the engineering. A, fr- a friend of mine, I showed him pictures of us of, of of the table after we set up, and he was like, oh, that looks really rickety. Believe it or not, it is sturdy. Like those cool. those posts bolt down into each other. It is solid. The problem is reaching your fat fingers in there but you're not going to knock these buildings over the the workmanship in terms of getting them to stand up is really solid cool all right and the last thing i want to tell you guys about because i think this is another fundamental part of the game it's not easy to demo and furthermore anybody who sits down with this game for fewer than i i think three gameplay sessions each of which is going to be pretty much the only game you play that night anybody who plays this fewer than three times isn't going to appreciate this part of the game and it's an integral part of what they created. And it's one of the things I love about it. This game is all about the longer-term campaign. Hmm. So you can generate a mission and play a skirmish, and, and that's fine. But part of the appeal of a game like Agents of Mayhem, which is an action RPG, is leveling up your characters. You start, and, and there, there are so many different ways that you level up the characters in the video game. And it's, to me, a, a huge psychological hook. It pulls you through playing the game. Uh, it makes you care in, in different degrees about different characters. You want that upgrade. You're not super excited about this character, but you need to level him up. And, okay, now he's got a cool upgrade. You like him better. When you just play a skirmish mission, you're not getting any of that. So what Academy Games has done is given you about, it's got to be at least about 250 cards that interact in a really intricate way, kind of like a choose-your-own-adventure, like a branching tree of victory conditions. Um, You draw a hand of campaign cards. You are looking at a card and putting it at a specific location for a later mission. You're setting up longer-term objectives. You're drawing special powers that you wouldn't otherwise get. You're finding a cool gadget. Um, There's an incredible number of long-term rewards and setups in this game that are based on playing the campaign. And unfortunately, when you first open the game, 
there's a list of like six missions you're supposed to play, and each of those is pretty much a full game before you play the campaign. And <laughs> and they're tutorial missions, and that's so – you, you have to play this game. They expect you to play this game six times to learn it and then get the campaign. And you know that part of the problem that my friend and I had – in terms of learning the game, was we just skipped the tutorial missions. We were like, you know, screw that. We're going to learn the rules. We're going to jump into the campaign. Right, um, right, right. So that, yeah, that makes... Right, so then you really were jumping into the deep end at that point. You know, so we kind of... We, we brought that upon ourselves, and that was fine. But anyway, so the point being, this awesome campaign, I'm really psyched to keep playing because... I, I don't know what's going to happen in the next mission. The next mission isn't open the book to page 12 and do this setup. Here's your victory condition. Here's yours. The next mission is Agents of Mayhem has a hand of six cards. Each card can do special objectives or secret events or hidden traps or rules tweaks. And then I, the bad guy, I also have a hand of cards. And we take turns playing those cards until a certain number of them have filled up the scenario requirements. So we don't know what kind of mission we're going to play. We don't even know based on our hand or what characters we're bringing in. We have to interactively play these cards to build the next mission. And it could be some crazy capture the flag. It could be a deathmatch thing where you're just trying to kill each other. It could be an MVP where you're trying to protect someone. We could be just trying to knock down buildings. Like, I, I don't know. And, and the game, the longer-term progression for this is the agents get to upgrade their characters to do cool things. And that's straight out of the video game. So the bad guys, how are they going to get to – how could they get something, something exciting like that? Because they just have boring troops, and okay, maybe their arch nemesis guy levels up, but that can't be as much fun. So what the game does is Legion is trying to build a doomsday device. So over the course of missions, he's collecting parts that determine what scheme he is doing for the final climactic end-of-the-world mission. And that's how he's building... Uh, like not so much character, but he's creating what the finale will be, mm. uh, and it's just an it's it's an intriguing hook for the action RPG element and for the longer term campaign progression of it. So how how many missions is the campaign gonna be in? I would guess that's a, no, that's a fantastic question. Uh, I would guess because you you do these randomly generated missions until uh, Doctor Babylon until the the Legion player has finished his uh, doomsday device, and then you go to that final mission. Uh, I would guess between 8 and 15, probably. Mm. Yeah. And then you there's a winner or loser of the campaign. Yeah. So um, we, we all have to go back in time to college and get that roommate and just play this game for like a semester. Exactly, that's, exactly. That's who this game is targeted at, yeah. is the, the kid in college who just fucking skips class and plays agents at mayhem so. yep yep uh yeah or and this is what i'm hoping i mean i i, I think my friend liked it I, I won unfortunately pretty decisively and the evening ended with one of those things where he was kind of discouraged not necessarily because he didn't like the game just because he lost so badly uh but i think he liked the game enough that i can get him to commit to like a regular you know right. one afternoon every couple of weeks so we'll see
Cool. So, all right, there's Agents of Mayhem. I didn't mean to go on so long, but there's just I, – I, I'm, I'm just really uh, taken by what they've accomplished, and I'm also really bummed that I don't think there are many people that, that would appreciate this game or that it should even buy it. So, Well, who knows? You know, I mean, games like this can potentially – take off in popularity if people just start talking about how much they love sure. it right? i right. mean that that's a big thing in the board game world for sure mm-hmm. is good reviews positive buzz everyone starts looking at it it's a good company good reputation yeah i mean yeah. you never know so. well let's talk about something that's the absolute opposite in terms of how many components and how heavy the gameplay is <laughs> mike pullman what is this thing that you this game has it, it comes with like what six cards what is the deal with this uh, it comes with about 40 cards. Whoa, whoa, um, whoa. Okay, that's crazy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but half of those are, well, half are for one player and half are for another player. Um, so I played Palm Island. Um, it was a Kickstarter, I think, um, six months or a year ago, maybe a year ago. Uh, I just got it in the store recently after I found out about it. Uh, but you play the game without a table. You play it entirely holding cards in your hand. So they advertise it as something you can play in the car, on a plane, it's a very uh, interesting idea, uh, but you have this deck of uh, 16 cards plus a round tracker, and you kind of just cycle through them as the game goes on. Uh, each card has, uh, it's double-sided, and there is two rotations, so you can flip it upside down uh, on both sides, so there's four possibilities for each card. And it's essentially, you're making a little uh, island civilization, building huts and a temple and so on, uh, and mining resources. Uh, fish and trees and rocks and so on. And it's it's a simple mechanic of the card that's sitting on the top of the, the deck in your hand. You have options. It might be you can use this for free and get a fish. It might be you spend two logs and a fish and a rock and you build a house. And when you're collecting resources, what you do is you just rotate the card 90 degrees so and then put it at the back of your stack of cards. So in the very basic game, you have a total of 16 cards that you've shuffled, uh, one at the very back that shows you which round it is. So every time it comes up to the top, you flip it mm-hmm. over and you go through eight rounds. And uh, you know, I'm, let's say my top card is uh, ability to go fishing, and I'm going to get a fish. So I rotate it uh, 90 degrees, stick it to the back, and then the round counter is one closer to the top. The cards are squares? Uh, nope, they're normal playing cards. Oh, okay. So okay. the ones that you're sitting there holding as resources are sticking out, uh, you know, uh, from the deck as they uh, cycle through. Oh, okay. Uh, you can only have three resource cards available at any time. So, you know, you as you start, these cards kind of upgrade, right? So after you've spent um, some resources, it flips around, and then from then on, it's more powerful the next time it comes mm-hmm. through. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then furthermore, after you flip it and so on. Uh, and then some of the structures, uh, for example, like the temple, doesn't actually produce anything, but at the end of the game is where the victory points based on if you started, you know, level one all the way up through level four. Um, and then the other mechanic that kind of comes into it is you can play either the top or second card in your hand at any time. Um, so it's a very kind of interesting idea. I played it once. I got kind of a middling score. Uh, essentially, 40 is a perfect score based on these victory points. Um, but it, I was how many points int- did you get? How close did I you get? I got 26. Oh, that's not close at all, Mike. <laughs> I thought you were going to say like 38. <laughs> on their uh, on their little chart, it said I did, uh, let's see. I think it said I did uh, admirably. 
Admirable. Okay. So I, I, Mike, I hate to tell you this. I think they were just trying to make you feel better. Probably. But there's <laughs> lots of numbers below. Okay. <laughs> now, you say – so it requires not having a table. Uh, yep. You mentioned the round tracker. The cards are the round tracker, right? Correct. So the okay. last card in your in your stack is a round tracker. It's got okay, because the moment you said that, I was like, wait a minute. Where are you going to put the round tracker if you don't have yep. a table? Here's the other thing. If I play a card, I just, like, show it to someone? Because you can't play a card without a table to lay it on, right? Right. So all you're doing is you are deciding what to do, doing that thing, which might be rotating a card, and then it goes all the way to the back. So it's just this cycling through over and over again. And then once that round card gets to the top, I flip it around to show that I'm now on round two, round three. That explains, too, why it's got a solitaire component, right? Is you can just, like, do it as a scoring puzzle. Okay. Okay. Yeah, and that's all I did. I played it as solitaire. So... Uh, there's two decks of cards, so you can play with two players. Uh, and then there's some cooperative and competitive cards you can add in uh, that essentially are available to draft uh, for the players as they get to each round. Mm-hmm. Um, I have not tried those uh, variants yet, uh, but I am curious to do so. And this so, is uh, so yeah. this is a game that just comes with 40 cards. It's got to – I'm just going to guess, and you would be the person to ask, uh, 1499 that is exactly correct. Sweet. <laughs> <laughs> Even that seems a bit much, though. Forty cards. Uh, I just feel like because they put it in a box, they can get away with charging. I'm assuming it comes in a box, right? It does. Um, okay. And it actually comes with. Um, so I'm carrying the deluxe version, which comes with this little wallet to keep your two decks of cards in, so you can travel oh, with it. Oh, right. Oh, I like that because right. I, very nice. Okay. Yeah, I think the basic one is is only like twelve bucks. So. You know, Mike, this reminds me of, uh, I forget the name of the company that's put out a bunch of these kind of wallet, carry-in-your-wallet-sized games. But yeah, there's it, there's, a, there's a couple companies. There's a company out of Japan called Oink Games right. that makes uh, ones that are, the boxes tend to be about playing card-sized. Uh, and then there's another company I saw at Gen Con a couple times. They make these things that look like almost the size of, uh, like, sticks or packs of bubblegum. Right. Sticks. Uh, and I forget what they're called, like, pocket games or something, and... Uh, I actually got when I was at Gen Con last year. They gave me their whole set as trying to in, uh, incentivize me to carry them. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. It, this one reminds me of one called Sprawlopolis, which is like a little city building game made exclusively from a small deck of cards. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like these this this trend towards micro games um, at the same time that Tom's buying ginormous things right and 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 honestly you know my wife tends to keep a couple of these little mini games in her purse and we'll play them and we're waiting for food at at dinner and stuff it's pretty nice um Uh, and then the other the other thing this game has is there's a bunch of extra like artifacts and if you finish the game with certain qualifications like having you know two houses upgraded to the top level or getting so many points you then every time there's a little checklist you can check it off and in further games, you get to add that to your deck. Whoa, 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 whoa. This is a legacy game? <laughs> minor, minor legacy game. There's about 10 of these artifacts. You, you buried the lead. Of. That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> so, but yeah, it's, you know, it, it's nothing super fancy, but I th- I was pretty impressed for a game that I just sit here holding cards in my hand and cycle through them a bunch of times. Mike, you just cost me $14.99. <laughs> um, how replayable is it as like a scoring puzzle? Like, is it something that would be... This is something that Hassan asked me about the game Arkham Noir last time. Uh, yeah. Is it something that would be solved? I think the more you play it, you're going to get into... Like, I really got to hold on to three fish for when this card comes back up. And then because you're going through the deck over and over again, and you're only slightly changing the order when you either discard or play the second one instead of the top one, mm-hmm. you're going to know that, oh, in about six turns, I'm going to need these resources. So 
I think with practice, you're going to get better at it and be able to solve it better. Um, those artifacts will mitigate it somewhat because it adds new things you can do. Right. Uh, and then I think we're, once you're good at it, where a really roller shine is in the competitive play where you're uh, fighting over some extra cards. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Who publishes this? Um, it's a guy did it uh, just on his own. The company's called Portal oh. Dragon. So you actually can't get it through distribution or anywhere. It's only directly through him. So I ordered good a bunch from the store okay. right from awesome. him. Yeah. Uh, I'm reminded. I've I've seen this on Board Game Geek just because I'm constantly trawling for uh, solitaire games. Do you guys know of a, a print and play game? I think it's only print and play called Orchard. I do not. Mm. No. It's it's like one of the top ranked solitaire games. Or it, it's at least one of the top-ranked ones that I'd never heard of when I was like looking at lists. It's a print-and-play game that's played with something like six cards. Uh, and I was like, that's ridiculous. There can't be any actual game there. And looked it up, and actually there's kind of a cool system of how you overlap the cards and try to create a tableau. And uh, But just you talking about Palm Island made me think, what is the fewest components you can distill down to and, and still get a cool game? Uh, we, have a, we have a game at the store called Agent 299. Mm-hmm. It's a pack of cards that has six cards. <laughs> it is a up to four player game, and it's basically like a, kind of a hot potato game. You're trying to like not end up with the uh, the case of stolen, you know, data or whatever. Right, right. I don't know that you can call six cards a pack. <laughs> a, the game is like three dollars. <laughs> uh, I can think of a game that has even fewer components that's far more complex. Yeah. Can you guys? You guys know what I'm on to here? Uh, mm. uh, craps, two dice. Mm. <laughs> right? Sure. And that's, it's kind of, I mean, gambling is kind of cheating, but yeah, so. <laughs> uh, all right, so thanks for, uh, costing me $14.99 plus tax. Sure, sure. Portal, you said Portal Dragons? No. Portal, Portal Dragon is the company, and the game is Palm Island. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Hassan, are you going to cost me any money? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Nothing you said so far. Okay, first of all, the the name of the game you're not playing is what again? Wizard King. <laughs> Wizard Kings, yeah. And so this one is probably something similar. What's the name of it? Oh, wait, wait for it. Yeah. Fantasy Realms. There's no way that wasn't taken already. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I really part of I've actually kind of come around. Like at first, it was just like, oh my god, this is annoying. How generic this is, and now I'm kind of like totally into it. Like I love it. They embrace just the genericness of just fantasy, right? So wait, um, are you being facetious, or you like what you? I th- no, I think it works. I'm good. I think it okay. works for me. Yeah, it does. I think um, I've I've kind of wrapped my way back around to to digging how just absolutely generic the name and and the cards are, and I, it kind of makes me laugh now. Like my group, like we joke about it now. So. Right. Well, what does it tell us about it? Yeah, so this this won't take long. This is a really short one, kind of like Mike. It's it's kind of in the same wheelhouse, actually, as what Mike was talking about, like a really small box, um, just a deck of cards type game. This is this is a, a a sort of good example of a palate cleanser or a a real um, filler type type game. Not probably not the the primary game you're going to play in an evening um just as a side note the the designer of fantasy realms is this guy bruce glasgow who the the only other game that he's known for is he designed betrayal at house on the hill along with a bunch of other people but Mm -hmm. it's it's been a long time since betrayal and recently he put out it's this game that comes with let's see 50 53 cards and this is down in palm island territory (laughs) yeah yeah really 
Um, and each card has a suit associated with it. So, for example, there are land cards or beast cards or leader cards. And then there's obviously a whole bunch of different of different examples of each of those. So one of the land cards, for example, is a mountain, right? Um, the, the thing that I love about this game more than anything else is just how you play it. This is one of those games like it takes five minutes to teach and then you're immediately playing it with your group. Um, the, you, you deal out everybody a hand of, I think it's seven cards, um, and then you put the rest of the cards in the center of the table as the deck, and then you, you sort of pick someone to start and you say, okay, it's your turn. All you're going to do on your turn is you're going to choose one of the cards in your hand to put down on the table, face up as sort of a discard, and then you're going to take a card. So it's, it's get rid of a card and take a card. And you can take a card either from one of the face-up cards in the center of the table or just the top of the deck, right? Mm -hmm. And that's it. Um, so the first player who goes obviously has to take off the top of the deck because there's no face-up cards mm -hmm. yet. But from that point forward, as people start playing face-up cards onto the table, that pool actually expands because you don't you don't put the face-up cards in their own little stack. You spread them out so you ah. have people see the options available to them. And then the, the end game trigger is as soon as there are 10 cards face up in the discard area and then people score their their hand and the 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 idea is that at the end of the game you're going to have seven cards in your hand you're going to score each of those cards every card has a unique scoring um, metric associated with it and this makes the game uh, very mathy at the end which might turn some people off but that's really the the fun of the game so I'll, I'll kind of walk you guys to an example, and I think this will give people a sense of how the game plays. Like, let's say in my opening hand, I have a card called the Beastmaster, right? And the Beastmaster, by himself in my hand, he's, he's worth nine points. But his a special ability says that at the end of the game, for every other beast I have in my hand, I'm going to get nine additional points, right? Mm -hmm. So let's say I look at that and I'm like, okay, so maybe my, my, what I'm going to try to pull off this game is just to get lots of beasts in my hands so that at the end of the game I can really make use of that, right? Um, and then we're going around the table and then Tom, you, for whatever reason, decide to discard the unicorn from your hand. So you put the unicorn face up on the table. Now, the unicorn's a beast, so I, I grab that unicorn and I take it into my hand after discarding something else. Mm -hmm. So now I've got a beast, but the unicorn says that it's worth nine points, but it's worth plus 30 if the princess is also in my hand, because obviously princesses <laughs> and unicorns, right? So so now I'm on, I've got my eye out for the princess. Now, let's say Mike has the princess in his hand currently, and he doesn't mm -hmm. really want to keep the princess in his hand. But if he was paying attention and he saw me pick up the unicorn, it would behoove him not to throw the princess on the table, if that makes sense, right? Yeah. Because then when it comes around to me, I'm going to be, oh, thanks, Mike, and I grab the princess. And now you guys know that well, my unicorn's just been buffed up, right? And so the game kind of goes like that, just like that, around and around and around. And every single one of your cards is going to score at the end of the game. Um, there's a there is a nifty kind of scoring pad um, that the game includes. I think there's also a cool digital app that you can download. This is a WizKids product, and so I think they've put out a free app that you can use to just plug in the cards that you have in your hand, and it'll spit the score out at you. How um, many how many cards would you have? seven at the end so everybody's going to have seven and it needs an app well the 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 math combos can get tricky right okay. i mean 
and and part of it is that some of the cards say like oh you know we, if you have this card it's going to do really well if you have this other card but if you have this other card that actually negates this ability right okay. so there's there is some there is a lot of kind of wild comboiness in the cards going around but i actually like using the scoring pad you just go through them one at a time um, you go around the table and score everybody's cards and then you're done within 20 minutes Oh, p- uh, playing, not 20 minutes of figuring out score. <laughs> yeah, the, th- <laughs> right. the whole thing. Yeah, the whole thing. Yep. It, it sounds like one of those games, and I, 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 I love games like these, but I hate this about them. It sounds like one of these games that uh, to really appreciate, you have to learn the components. Like, I have to know unicorns and princesses go together so that when Mike takes the unicorn, I'm now faced with the agonizing decision about hanging on to the princess as long as I can. <laughs> That's uh, right. That's right. Yeah. Now there's there's definitely some of that like there's I forget them but there's these three cards in the deck there is bell tower candle and some other fucking thing I can't remember but there's these three <laughs> cards and if you have all three of those in your hand you get plus 100 points like it's not like plus 10 points it's plus 100 right so you're looking for this particular trio of cards and that we were playing this one time and it was i think it was our first time playing and i was explaining to the group you know how the scoring works and i said oh and just so you know like there's these three cards like if you have them um, you'll get a hundred point bonus and at that moment one of the cards face up on the table was the candle and dave my buddies just picks up the candle and puts it (laughs) casually in his hand and of course you know he he had all three of those right right um but yeah you're right like the the more you play it, the more you kind of can do those hate drafty or hold on to card things that are gonna make you a little bit more competitive. Right. Right. Um, the other thing that really, I mean, it might just turn people off is that it's really fun while you're playing and you're just making a quick decision about, you know, which card to get rid of and which card to pick up. And then at the end of the game, you kind of have to run through this this set of calculations to figure out your scores. Now, it if if the calculations can be that intricate, uh, isn't this the kind of game that people who are really into couldn't this uh, analysis paralyze people? Yes, yes. I mean, I think it especially hits you when you get your opening hand, right? You look at your seven cards. Right. And you're like, oh, well, I have the Beastmaster, so should I go after Beast? Oh, but I also have, like, the Forge, which says I should collect weapons. Oh, but I also have this other card, which says I do this. And I, and, and the, I think the instruction manual even suggests this. It's like, look, you're not going to be able to do everything, <laughs> so just pick something, right? And just go with it and see how it flies, right? Okay. And, and once you start doing that and kind of trundling down a path um, – uh, it, it, the, the, I think the, the choices start to narrow a little bit. Um, and yet the game goes on long enough that you can switch gears halfway through if you need to. Uh, like right. if, you're, if you're realizing that your whole like, a land strategy isn't working out or you were trying to collect leaders, but clearly somebody else at the table is also collecting leaders. And so, oh, shoot, I have to give that up, right? So I don't compete with this person. You can, you can definitely switch gears. Uh, the genericness of the fantasy, though, sounds like it serves it, because right. if you've got, if you've got to know things like oh, princesses love unicorns, if That's they'd right. called the princess something else and the unicorn something else, that wouldn't the, the, like it sounds like a, the fantasy setting gives it a kind of a common vocabulary that people would pre-understand. That's exactly okay. right. That's yeah. why I've kind of come around to it. Is like at first I was I was like oh man, I really like this game and I kind of like the core mechanic. Why didn't they give it? 
something a little bit more flavorful. Like they could have even stuck in fantasy and 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 given it, I don't know, like a Game of Thronesy thing or something. Right. But the the genericness of it really does help. Like there are there are combos that just will make sense. Like if you have the mountain and wildfire, oh that that's good because it's a wildfire on top of a mountain. But then if you have the rainstorm, <laughs> that puts out the wildfire, right? Um, so it, things will just kind of you'll start to see how intuitively they they kind of make sense and come right. together. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I recently bought a game based almost solely on the artwork called uh, and and you guys dig this name, Savage Planet. The Fate <laughs> of Phantos, <laughs> which has so, uh, it, it's got like, amazing like an artwork, comic book, yeah. It, well, and like it even it looks 50s. like that too, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's an absolutely gorgeous game, and it has really weird, unique, like it, it's. I don't know if it's from some pre-existing property, but it's just really. It's just some weird, unique future fantasy setting where there's a. Like, the end of the game is some big round-faced god destroys the earth, and there's, like, a lizard faction that has priests, and then there's, like, these weird guys who have masks and robes. None of it is is makes any sense, but it's that kind of gameplay where there's all these combos. And trying to learn that, like, there's no pre-existing hook in your imagination for what these things are. Mm. Uh, so I can't imagine. It, it seems like it would be really difficult to teach and learn because it is so unique. Uh, there's definitely something to be said for generic fantasy. Yeah. That's right. That's right. I mean, I think ultimately that is sadly, I guess in some sense, why so many designers end up leaning on these tried and true uh, right. motifs or themes in games. Because there's a, there's a cultural knowledge that you then bring to the game that makes it easier to learn. Right? Yeah. And that, that, that goes a long way. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. So. Uh, all right, so Agents of Mayhem, uh, uh, Palm Island, Fantasy Realms, uh, and also Maniacal, now available. Woohoo! Um, yeah, super. Con uh, congratulations, Hassan. I mean, I guess they didn't say that up front, but uh, <laughs> that's so awesome. Can you say anything about the Clockwork Wars update? What is that? Um... Well, what I would what I'm what I'm working on now, just for people's just FYI, is I'm working on what I would call a semi semi official Clockwork Wars 1.5 update. What I'm calling in my own mind the the great rebalancing. So it's not it's not like a major uh, like you know oh, changing the rules to the game or adding minis or anything crazy like that. What I what I told Eagle I wanted to do was. Like, look, guys, if we ever do a reprint of the game, what I would really want to do is is tweak a lot of the effects of some of the cards in the game. Like mm -hmm. over these past several years, it's just become clear to me that some of the, the cards as as originally designed are slightly overpowered or slightly underpowered. And so I just have this big rebalancing that I want to do. Um, I don't think they're going to do a, a reprint anytime soon, but they do seem supportive of of us potentially um, doing this rebalancing and tweaking of, of a small subset of components and then printing those components as like an upgrade pack that people, right. people could then potentially purchase from, from Eagle. So, all right, uh, good, good. Yeah. It's, it's a fun, it's a, it's a good little project for me right now, sort of in between other design stuff. Well, I can say, uh, I think as recently like maybe four months ago, uh, I've played clockwork, boards enough to say for such an old game it holds up 
Yeah, yeah. I'm <laughs> glad to hear that. Yeah, no, it's, I, it's from the olden days. It's got to be like what 2016. <laughs> 2015 I know. oh my god oh <laughs> <Yeah>. history <laughs> yeah really it, it is it is kind of hilarious how i see it as a good thing though i mean the the it's not just the the pace of of games coming out the quantity of games coming out it really is a ramping up of quality and expectation yeah. um and, and boldness, is, too, boldly creative things. Like I love that it's going so fast, not things just copying each other, but people trying new stuff. I love that about how quickly we're going. Yeah, Yeah, I will say from a designer standpoint, it's thoroughly intimidating because what, what it means is that there is uh, almost an expectation for innovation, right? Like if a game is good, but it's basically leaning on tried and true mechanics, it's all too easily just going to be looked you know, just passed over. And so right. people really looking, and I get this, they're looking for stuff that tries something totally different or is breaking the mold and doing something completely unique. And with things like Gloomhaven out there, you know, it's, it's, they've set this incredibly high bar for what people are looking for in their, in their big, you know, game purchase for that month. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. But it's good. It's, it's, it's good for all of us. As it a is. Whole. Yeah, it's a very healthy situation. Yeah. So, uh, all right. Well, we'll be back in two weeks to talk about other stuff. I'm pretty sure one of the things we talk about will be Marvel Champions. Uh, so join us for that. I'm Tom Chick. I've been here with Hassan Lopez and Mike Pullman. We'll see you guys in two weeks. Cheers.